0: top of the tuesday morning to you oregon i'm finn jd john fj at offbeatoregon.com and this is the daily offbeat oregon podcast Since it is Tuesday, this is an archive show, first published as a newspaper column and podcast episode several years ago. Thanks for downloading, and I sure hope you enjoy it. This story was first published on July 25th of 2010 under the headline, The Original Floating Bordello of 1880s Portland. Here we go. For owners of brothels, gambling houses, and other colorful businesses, it's a well-known trick. When the police and city government start trying to run you out of town, you go, into a whiskey scow anchored in the harbor. The folks who wrote about history in the 1800s didn't talk a lot about things like this, so we can't know for sure. Also, many of the folks who wrote history after the 1800s did an awful lot of guessing. See the note at the end of this article for more about that. But as far as I know, the first successful whiskey scow ever to grace the western half of the North American continent was a two-story tavern brothel parked smack in the middle of the Willamette River in downtown Portland in the 1880s. One quick note. The term whiskey scow is, in this context, a little confusing. A scow was, in the 1880s, a very specific type of vessel. Scows were medium-sized utility vessels used to haul freight around on the river, often operated by workers who lived on them. They would range in the 25- to 40-foot range, nowhere near big enough for an operation like Nancy's, which was built not on a scow but on a barge. But perhaps Whiskey Barge doesn't have the same cachet. Back to our story. At the time, Portland was three cities. Portland, East Portland, and Albina. There were three city governments, three municipal police forces, and three sets of liquor laws. Which is understandable. The river cuts right down between Portland and East Portland, and there weren't yet any bridges. The opportunities the river created were obvious to local entrepreneurs and riverboat operator Nancy Boggs. First, she could move her 40-by-80-foot vessel up and down the river to respond to local market demand all along the river, from Oregon City to Linton if she wanted. Secondly, when anchored between the two Portlands as she usually was, her employees could service both cities. Boatmen and small rowboats were stationed on either side, and customers could simply hop in and be ferried to Nancy's little 3,200-square-foot island of iniquity. And thirdly, Nancy paid no taxes to either city. In the rough and gamey frontier towns of 1880s Portland and East Portland, it was this last item that bothered the city halls. Not morals, but money. Both towns at the time were fairly friendly to prostitution, Land-based brothels were operating highly successfully on both sides of the river. In fact, the city's first police chief was part owner of a saloon that, some historians are convinced, dabbled discreetly in the trade as well. But these brothels paid liquor taxes. Nancy's did not. Several times, police from one side of the river or another tried to raid her boat. Nancy, tipped off by one satisfied customer or another, would simply hoist anchor and tow her bordello close to the shore of the city that was not conducting the raid. The towns were bitter rivals and their police forces did not cooperate with each other, so this strategy was effective for many years. It's also pretty likely that the cops on both sides of the river were sympathetic to her cause. Finally, in 1882, the two towns made common cause and attacked from both sides at once in what was probably Oregon's first ever coordinated interagency prostitution sting. Nancy, who had apparently anticipated something like this, or perhaps had been tipped off in advance, fought them off with a hose rig to the boat's heating plant, blasting scalding steam which, with furious and angry screams that could be heard clearly by watching City Hall VIPs on both sides of the river, she turned on the approaching flatfoots. The steam, of course, made a tremendous hissing and impressive clouds as it blasted out into the chilly spring air so that it looked like a spectacular battle. Faced with such determined and dangerous-looking opposition, of course, the cops conducted a strategic retreat. It's hard to avoid the impression that this battle was intended to look a lot fiercer than it actually was. Mayors and police chiefs might have wanted Nancy shut down, but she clearly had some good friends among the regular beat cops on both sides of the river. But that night, under cover of darkness, someone, nobody knows who, took a sharp knife and a rowboat and paddled stealthily out to Nancy's anchored vessel. Once there, this unknown person cut Nancy's anchor line and set her bordello drifting down the river, headed for the Pacific Ocean. And it was drifting at a rather alarming pace. Despite its modern reputation as a rather staid and slow waterway, the Lower Willamette moves right along when the water is high, as it was at this particular time. As almost any Victorian-era woman would, Nancy first went for help to the one man still on board, a customer who had hit the jug especially hard and was sleeping it off. This fellow was every bit as helpful as you would expect a man like that to be. So Nancy let him sleep and, with a few words of reassurance to her girls, got in one of the rowboats and started pulling for the east side of the river. She landed in Albina and immediately found the skipper of a sternwheeler. After she explained to him that a barge full of girls and whiskey was in distress and needed help, the captain rousted his crew, fired the boilers, and headed down river to the rescue. At dawn the next morning, Nancy's hospitality barge was back at anchor. One source says it was right back where it was the night before, and a little thumb in the eye to whoever had tried to get rid of it. Several other sources say it ended up anchored a few miles down the river near Linton. Quite what arrangement Nancy and her girls made with the captain and crew of the Sternwheeler to thank them for their gallant midnight rescue is, happily, lost to posterity. This battle might have been won, but Nancy must have known that the war had just started and would likely not end well for her. Shortly after this incident, she brought her operation ashore in the North End, setting up housekeeping at a new joint on Pine Street near 3rd. Here, she paid her liquor taxes and had, as far as I've been able to learn, no further problems. A quick editor's note about this story. The story of Nancy Boggs and her hospitality barge is one that's hard to pin down precisely. Most versions of this story can be tracked back to Edward Spider Johnson, an old waterfront tough guy, bartender at Erickson's Saloon and former boarding house runner, as told to Stuart Holbrook in the early 1930s for a series Holbrook was writing in the Portland Morning Oregonian. Many serious Portland historians have dismissed the entire story as a hoax, something wholly made up by Johnson to get Holbrook to keep buying him drinks. This is possible, but in my view highly unlikely. In 1931, the 1880s were still a part of living memory for many older Portlanders, and a suggestion in the newspaper that a floating bordello was anchored near the Stark Street Ferry in 82 would, if a lie, have elicited some letters to the editor from 75-year-old residents setting the paper straight. However, it is a good possibility that some aspects of this story have been distorted over the years by telling and retelling. I hope you will enjoy this story for what it is, a fascinating and probably mostly true piece of classic Portland waterfront folklore. Key sources in this story have included works by Stuart Holbrook, Corey Jimenez, and the Portland Morning Oregonian archives. Well, that's our show for today. Thanks again for listening. This podcast is part of Offbeat Oregon History, a public history resource for the state we love. More info is at our hub page at offbeatoregon.com. Offbeat Oregon is a division of Pulp Lit Productions, a boutique publishing house about which more can be learned at pulp-lit.com. Speaking of which, if you enjoy listening to me, you might check out some of my audiobooks. You can find them most easily with a search for my name on audible.com. Most of them are old pulp stuff, H.P. Lovecraft, Edgar Rice Burroughs, etc., but at least two of them are Offbeat Oregon history-type stuff. Check them out if you're so inclined. This podcast is covered under a Creative Commons license. For details, see offbeatoregon.com slash cc. Our theme music is by the Atlas String Band and was written by Carmen Ficara. Listen and download more at atlasstringband.com. Questions, critiques, ideas for a future episode? Email me at fj at offbeatoregon.com episodes of Offbeat Organ History are uploaded around 6 a.m. every weekday, so the next one will be on your device and ready to go before you know it. Until then, go out and fill up the rest of the day with good stuff. Bye now.